0: So I want to, um, I've I've used this setting of T.S. Eliot's um, here, which is, in my beginning, is my end. Um, And I want to look uh, in a moment, a few moments, at um, particularly number symbolism, which is something which fascinates me a little bit. It gets a bit scary when you start to get into bark and number symbolism, because there's a lot of it. And then I want us to consider um, how we come out of this piece what we do when the final chord has gone, because the final chord is quite controversial, uh, and we'll look at the sort of symmetry of the piece. But before I do that, I just want to play you one more excerpt, uh, which is, again, you don't have the text for, because it's important you don't get distracted by reading. It's the lieber, it's the soprano <coughs> aria. So you've heard Barmady, uh, you've heard um, uh gives me a nine years of wieder. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the next aria this, this is the chorus work, but the next aria is Aus Liebe, the translation of which is um, For love my Saviour wishes to die, though he knows nothing of any sin, that eternal ruin and the punishment of judgment may not rest upon my soul. For love. repeat again. Um, and I have a theory here, so I suggested to you the chorus were trying to stop the narrative. It's on. I've turned it back on again. I hope you're impressed. Cut that bit out. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I I suggested the chorus of trying to stop the narrative. They're doing their Greek chorus thing, shouting the sidelines. I get a very strong feeling that Bach is trying to do exactly the same himself. I think he feels if he can write the perfect piece of music, somehow he will stop this um, terrible event happening. There's an aria before Erbarmadik, which we haven't heard, called Gudult, uh, which is for tenor and gamba. And then you have Erbarmadich, and so amazing Gudult, amazing Erbarmadik, amazing Gives Me a Mine. And then this amazing Ausliebe, where he literally tries to stop time. It is full of long notes, sustained long notes. It's full of fermata, pauses in the music. And it's as if he's trying to get a hold of time and just pull the whole thing back. And he nearly manages it. And I just want you to listen to this aria, and then we'll get on to our number symbolism. Because it is uh, one of the most beautiful things ever written, and you just need to hear it. And this is, who's singing this? I one. This is Christina Schaeffer singing this for Nicholas Harmoncourt. Slightly too fast to me, that performance. But... Um, you get the idea. I don't know a piece which stops so often. <coughs> Keep stopping. Keep stopping. Now, um, the symmetry of this piece is, is extraordinary. So it has... Um, there, there are lots of correlations between where it starts and where it ends. Um, it starts with a, a full chorus, which Pickander has set. goes through a series of recitatives and arias and chorales. It then has another full um, text, chosen by Picander, although written by someone else, but chosen by him. Uh, For the end of the first half, another chorus, the beginning of the second half, pick under words, and then it ends uh, with a pick under chorus. There is also extraordinary symmetry in the amount of recites and aries that are there, the number of times that Jesus speaks, the number of times that the evangelist speaks, and all sorts of bizarre number symbolism. This is not my work, I'm not claiming this. Various people have done this. So we've already mentioned that when the disciples ask, Is it I?, 11 of them talk. If Judas doesn't, he comes later. But there are other things which are quite extraordinary. So um, in the restative about the last supper, when the last supper is instituted, and jesus And uh, we haven't heard this one, but Jesus says, mm-hmm. drink, uh, drink you all of this. Um, there are 116 notes in the base part of that restative, apparently. Uh, and in Psalm 116, it says, I will receive the cup of salvation. And he's written 116 base notes. And if you think, well, that could just be a coincidence, um, a little bit further on, um, when it talks about um, taking the bread, it says, take eat, this is my body. This has 34 base notes in it. <coughs> and in Psalm 34, you find, oh, taste and see how gracious the Lord is. <laughs> uh, when Jesus um, cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's 22 bars long. It's from Psalm 22. And... Uh, And when Jesus um, yields up the ghost to the second part of that narrative, there are 31 base notes there. And in Psalm 31 it says, Into thy hands I commend my spirit. It's quite extraordinary. The one I find absolutely remarkable is I I refer to the the tenor aria, gedult. Before that there is a recit where Jesus remains silent in the face of um, Pilate's questionings. And it's accompanied by 39 calls, one after the other. And in Psalm 39... Uh, well, actually, sorry, it's, it's, it's oh, sorry, I've got this wrong. It's 39 bass notes and 10 bars of music. And Psalm 39, verse 10 is, "I became dumb and opened not my mouth." Oh, so he is. We know he is very obsessed with psalms, uh, and to get Was it your question? I think about structure and you know how much was was emotion. The answer is it is both, because there is obviously a lot of very careful thought going on here. Now, it's not as hard as it sounds if you're into number symbolism. We know he's in calendars. He's big into family trees. He would have loved Ancestry.com. <coughs> um, if you want to, you know, if you're, if you're going to quote something, if you're going to put set a bit of scripture which reminds you of Psalm 18, it's quite easy to decide to write 18 base notes to accompany it. you just have to make sure it's, it's the right length. So it's not, you know... I think it's not the fact that it's super clever, it's the fact that his mind is working in this way, um, which really, um, really does it. Now, so um, part of number symbolism um, is that you can use numbers to relate to letters. And Bach, throughout his life, um, sets music which is his own name. So he, he's B-A-C-H. So you know music, we go A-B-C-D-E-F-G on the scale.
1: In Germany,
0: they have another letter. They have H. So A, B for Germans is B-flat, uh, C, D, E, F, G, A, uh, no, well, a, I can't do the alphabet, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H is B-natural. Mm-hmm. So Bach's name comes out as the letter B, the note A, the note C, and the note B-natural. Mm-hmm. So he does that. But if you put a number underneath each um, each of the letters. So A is 1, B is 2, C is 3, D is 4, and so on. And you can go all the way through our modern alphabets doing this, except you have to remember that I and J are interchangeable in this period. So I and J are both 9, not 9 and 10. If you do that, you um, find out that um, uh, Bach's number is 14. Because he's B, which is 2, plus A, which is 1, plus C, which is 3, plus H, which is 8. It comes to 14. Okay. When he um, when he writes, truly this was the Son of God, while Jesus is God of when Jesus dies, when the centurion says there are 14 notes. <laughs> and he does this quite a lot. He's basically saying, I'm, truly this was God's Son, and I believe it. I'm here with you. This is me, I do this. And then it gets really weird because if you do Johann Sebastian Bach, you do all his names, it comes out to 100, 158 is his number. And he must have been very excited because 1 plus 5 plus 8 is 14. Which is the number of bar. And 1 plus 5 times 8 is 41, which is 14 backwards. <laughs> <laughs> and 8 minus 1 divided by 5 is 1.4. So there is a really weird thing going on here. It all comes back to his 14. And there are all sorts of things. You can go through the St Matthew Passion with a fine tooth comb. And there are other things that are suggested which I haven't had time to do. But to just give you one more, the first chorus of the second half, is 123 bars long. That's um, one of Barthes' numbers, 41 times 3, which is the number of the Holy Trinity. Okay. There's a lot of this stuff going on for Barthes. So Andrew, are you suggesting it's more than just a point of inspiration? That he was numerically minded, which people Kind of say that a lot of musicians are, which yeah, are kind of sort of in parables, and that's the way his mind works. It looks like, uh, yeah, I think so. But so you a, say it's not more than inspiration. I'm, I'm just saying, okay. I'm, it's, it's, it's for me an indication of how his mind works and how totally bound up he is with his religion mm-hmm. and his belief, because it's it's it, 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 he experiences it on every level, intellectually, musically, mathematically, mm-hmm. and of course this is not a new thing. I mean, there's there's motets by Defy. Which um, have an obrecht, which have number symbols, and there are buildings which are based on proportions of cathedral, for example, is, is a bit like that. But all the ones there are <coughs> art. I'm looking, always at as with, and I can't think of any example of it. There's got to be, there's got to be a piece of art which has got all sorts of all its golden numbers and everything else, sort of golden section. Um, it's all the rubbish, of course, that Dan Brown was writing about, and that silly book of his. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, that's, that's sort of where he was getting from. Um, so I'm not. I'm not telling you this. I'm not telling you this because I'm giving you magic. It isn't magic. It's just an indication of how completely bound up this man was with, with his belief and his knowledge of the Book of Psalms. So he he looks at the Gospel and he he himself thinks, Oh yeah, it's that Psalm or this verse, it reminds me of that verse. He's he, we know he's devout and we know that his his theology is deep. Now I haven't scripted this last bit very much. I've got a quote. I've got a quote here. by... am. Um, Alex Ross, who's a great um, favourite music critic of mine, but, um, because we need to look at the last chorus. It's the last thing we're going to do before we go into our um, liturgy. Um, we've got Martin Oxman, one of the basses of St Paul's, coming to sing to us. I'm uh, just going to tell you he's going to sing. We've got the liturgies over for you there. Go. Uh, he's going to sing Konzusus Kreuz uh, and "Markedich." dich. Um, now, Konzusus Kreuz is uh, what Jesus sings on his way to crucifixion. And it's uh, an astonishing dance, again, it's a death dance, between originally a gamba, an early cello, and the bass voice, who is um, singing the part of Jesus. And I'm always interested in this because the gamba part's really hard. It's carrying the cross, um, which the Zeus call it the sweet cross, is very hard for the gamba. It's bomb, pop It's rocky, bouncy, it's not even, and it's quite tricky. The way it's hard, the way the cross is hard, and Jesus is much more elegant about the way he deals with it, uh, in spite of all the bumping along of the gamba underneath. He's much more elegant. And I think it's a fascinating example of, of the, uh, the sort of dancing we've already seen in Erb-Armady. Um And then Machadich um, is possibly the most happiest, positive aria that you can ever come across. The translations are there, so I'm not going to give them to you now. You'll be able to see them when you get over there. Machadich B flat major, warm key, very warm key. None of this minor stuff. Uh, and it's and in the fact there they are. Look, there are the two people. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they've got no excuse not to be really good. So B flat, i give them a hard time. Markedika, um, uh, I just it's oh gosh, I can't, I don't actually have the words. It just makes you smile. You feel so full. I'm gonna, I will, I will redo this text then. Um, it makes you feel so full of hope. Um, it has the most gorgeous Leona part in it, with lots of passing notes. Purify thyself, my heart. I wish myself to bury Jesus, for he shall henceforth in me forever and ever his sweet rest. Does it make sense to me? World be gone, let Jesus in. Purify yourself. It's an emptying out of yourself so that Jesus can rush in. And it's the most... Oh, can't, can't, can't can't talk about it. So this last chorus, okay, we're going to talk a bit, then we're going to listen, then we're going to talk a little bit um, The first chorus I told you is in E minor. The last chorus is in C minor. C minor. Oh, okay, well he's done that before. So the last big composed chorus of the St John Passion is also in C minor, it's fine. And then there's a chorale in E flat major, a brilliant full of light and hope, because we can see the resurrection just over there. And you finish on a huge high at the end of St John, because it is fulfilled. The scriptures have been fulfilled. Jesus has died and we are saved. The St Matthew Passion ends with a longer chorus in C minor. It's in three times, so it's a dance, all of dance again, but it's a slow dance. And it ends, somebody said, uh earlier on over here i can't remember that a lot of the pieces we're listening to seem to end with a major key you would expect that to end with a major key often nearly always a piece like this yeah certainly ends in c minor more extraordinary than that it ends with the seventh note of the scale sounding against it so um very quick uh, not complicated don't panic when you do a, a chord. You use, uh, there are eight notes in a scale, yeah, one, two, three, five, six, seven, eight. When you do a chord, you use degrees one, three, five, and eight. You've already heard me talk about tonic pedals, I so said that was one. Dominant pedals are five. So a chord, if I was to play a chord on the piano now, which would sound nice, it would be one, three, five, and eight, whatever key i pick. The, the last chord of the uh, this chorus is one, three, five, and seven. No. And that seventh is painful, and it has to rise up to the eighth because it has to. We, we haven't invented Schoenberg yet, or even you know, in, in Mara. You can't. He can't end on that. It has to resolve. The Baroque composer ha- can't end on a discord. But the last, the last bar, the beginning of that last bar is one, three, five, and seven, chord. and it's not even a flattened seventh. Because sometimes a flattened seventh there's a dominant seventh. Mozart, so, uh, that's quite nice. So this is a sharpened seventh. And it hangs there and eventually rises to the eighth. And where are we? That's my big question. How do we come out of this piece? Because we, in a sense, we're no further on than when we started. We started in E minor, and now we're finishing in C minor. We're three steps lower on the keyboard. But where are we in our heads? Have we got redemption? Are we happy? Are we fulfilled? Well, the answer is, as you say, no. we're not entirely. Um, so, I think, we' we'll, let's have a listen <laughs> to this last chorus. Um, you will see, it's a dark haplo chorus. You know what that means now? Okay. No, it's in AD section, and it goes back to the A section again. In the middle section, there is a slightly lighter bit. It says, "Your grave and tombstone shall, for the unquiet conscience, be a comfortable pillow and the soul's resting place." Uh, there is a little bit of light, but essentially, this text which you have as excerpt nine is pretty miserable, even in the rest. So here is Tom Goodman in his outfit. Do you hear that? Seven. Yeah. Nine. Nine. I think extraordinary. I think extraordinary, and I also hope you notice, he's, he, as in the St John Passion, he, he says, great, makes great use of the bass string of the cello. That big sound you hear is the C string. It's the lowest, um, the lowest string on the cello or the bass. So when you when you lay into an open string with your bow, it really resonates. It twangs. Once your fingers on the string, the, the, the string can't twang quite as much. But when it's when it's free, when it's just the open string, it's yeah, I love it. I always love getting the faces done. <laughs> okay, um, anyone notice anything about that text? Two things I, I noticed about that text. Put your Lutheran hats on for the first one. Via are We sit. Thus, we're there. We're there all the time, all the way through this fashion. You're there in the first chorus with your Quran. You're there when the disciples deny Jesus. You're there all the way through. Here you are at the end. We're the ones sitting by the grave. No one else, no other characters. Immediately before this, there's a restative, an accompanied of of restative, with just soprano, alto, tenor, and basos. They've all seen a language. The bass first, and the alto, and the tenor, and the soprano. No characters. It's not Peter, uh, Pilate's wife. It's none of those. They just stand up. A bit like at the end of a vaudeville, when people throw their throw their couches off and they just come and say this is now this is us, thank you very much, tonight. Um, it's it's a little bit like that. Um, and the only people who are left the grace are you. You're with Jesus there. There's no mention of redemption here. There's no mention of Easter. There's no mention of light. This is death. We sit down with tears and call you to you in the grave. And he's in the grave he's dead. Rest gently, rest your exhausted limbs. Um, highly contented, there the eyes fall asleep. It's the sleep of death. And it's a sort of lullaby because, because of the swing thing. Uh, I find this rather curious because as I said in the St. John Passion, you get a chorale which makes it perfectly clear that the, the dawn of Easter is just around the corner. Now, this is what Alex Ross, you know, Alex Ross, the American musicologist, mm-hmm. wrote a, a great book called The Rest of the yeah. Noise. Um, this is what he says. He says, A more uncanny symbol of the loneliness of death can scarcely be imagined. From there to the end, many of us were in a trance. He's talking about a performance that he went to in some fashion. From there to the end, many of us were in a trance out of which the chorus jolted us with one last unexpected gesture. In the silence after the final chord, the singers turned away from the block representing Christ's tomb and stared outward with cold, expectant glances. They seemed to say, you too are responsible. Which is exactly what Luther said to you at the start of this. <laughs> So either Alex Roth is fantastically in tune with Luther, or he's done his reading, or that's, I'm sure that's how he felt. He's a great, great man. Um, and the question for us is, how do we come out of this piece? How do we get, where is Easter? We haven't actually had anything. We've had some graves being split open when Jesus dies so I presume there's a bit of implied resurrection there. Um, But we have have absolutely nothing of it. And I think the reason why it's in C minor and the reason why it has that rather questioning seventh, that unresolved seventh, surely you can't end a piece like that, is because we have to go out and find the light of Easter. It's up to us now. Mm -hmm. We've been drawn into this situation, we've been shown that we're part of it, we're responsible for it, and now we have to go out and live the resurrection. We've got to find it. Easy on one level, you just need to go to chapter twenty eight of St Matthew's Gospel. Just go on to the next chapter. But after what you've been through three hours of highly intensive, tragic music making, tragic drama, uh, you're completely washed out. We were saying this. a friend over here was saying this. You're completely washed out, man. Right. It's an emotional roller coaster. And uh, you've got to summon up the energy to find Easter and then you have to live it. And I think that's how we have to come out of this piece. I think it's a challenge to us. Because Bach is saying, yeah, he's dead and long, that's it, thanks, bye. End of the story. But we know it's not that. Because it's quite a, quite a hard thing to live, isn't it? And there is an Easter Oratorium by Bach, and an <coughs> Ascension Oratorium. And they are brilliant and lovely, but they are nothing in comparison to this. They are essentially cantatas, for Easter Day and Ascension Day, all the other days in between, that have them significant significance. Um, and they have trumpets and they have drums and they are happy and bouncy, mm-hmm. but they don't take us from the pain of mourning when we now are we are actually mourning lost now to the light of Easter. Again I said to somebody, um, it's very important you mustn't do play acting with this we can't it is wrong for us to go home on Good Friday and to cry. And to mourn because Jesus is dead. But that's play acting. Because we know our faith tells us that we know although we're remembering the events, we know that Easter is around the corner and we know what will happen. And we reenact the events to make it more powerful to us, to remind ourselves of our faith. So we can't pretend not to know the answer. But I think when you get outside from this piece, you have to just go searching and you have to live Easter. And you have to find a it. bark's not going to help you. I think that's his challenge.